So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Marcus Randolph. And as you can see, uh, I've been on a, a little fitness journey over the last, uh, for a while. So these pictures are approximately 15, 16 months apart. And so what has happened is, oh, yeah, th thank you. I, I actually still have to get used to that, which I'll talk to you about in a little bit. Because, you know, um, I recognize that I had, you know, I was bigger and I'm a wrestling coach and I really like to show technique, but I just couldn't do it as much as I'd like to and, and knew that, okay, something has to be done. And so what I had to do was I had to take certain measures and, and I'll, uh, I'm not going to get into details about them, but basically I had to make a, a lifestyle change. And during the course of it, you know, I, I have to get kind of used to being in my new body. So like, just like you guys clapped and said, hey, congratulations, like people randomly come up to me, like as I've been working out at a gym over the last year, and people randomly come up to me, don't know who they are, hey, I've been watching you, and it's, it's kind of weird, because you're like, <laughs> and when you first came in here, but like how you look now, man, congratulations. Or people who I haven't seen in a long time, they come up to me, and I'm like happy to see them, and they go, congratulations, and I'm like, wait, I ain't have no babies or nothing like that, I'm... <laughs> I mean, congratulations. What are you congratulating me for? And I realized, oh, the weight loss. And part of it is because I'm actually doing it and putting in routines and, and trying to sustain it. I, I don't, over time, I've had to watch it go slowly while people who haven't seen me in a while get to see it and go, oh, wow, look at the change. And I'm going to point to you some of the things that I've, got to, uh, I've learned during this particular health or fitness journey. See, I learned that our brains actually, um, it, it takes them a while to get used to any type of physical change. And so when I first started, with the, uh, when I, first started um, I didn't know that I was, I was hungry all the time, even though I was eating enough food. In fact, I was actually eating more food than I used to eat. And apparently your brain initially wants to eat like it was at its heaviest weight. And so at that time, I was over 300 pounds, so my body was like, hey, I've, you got to eat like a, a certain amount. The other thing that occurred was is that um, you have to kind of get used to how you look. And, and that's actually really nice for me because, like, I like to look at myself in the mirror. My wife, I'm serious, my wife can attest, she's right over there, that when our first time talking to each other, I did not look at her. I looked at myself in the mirror. True story. True story. I looked at myself because, well, I mean, I like looking at me. It's interesting because I also, like, have a twin brother, so I'm always used to uh, having another image around of myself. And so this was pretty awesome. I was, like, looking at myself in the mirror, like, yeah, you like this girl, don't you? You know, and so, and now that we live in a place where there is just way more mirrors in the mirror, I'm just walking around like, ooh, Jesus, you love me, don't you? This is just great. But oh, it's interesting, though, I still have to get used to how my body looks. And so now I've come to the point where I have lost a roughly, I'm, I'm closing in on my goal weight. And I have to still be very vigilant about making certain adjustments to how my body is. And, and the, there's some things that I'm learning now. And so those adjustments that I'm making and, and I'm getting there and I have to sustain it. But as I'm getting older, I mean, as I'm getting closer to that goal, I, I'm going to be very vulnerable. I'm nervous. See, I'm nervous that I'll go back to eating the same way that I used to eat, or, or I'll, be, I'll go back to, to some of the same habits that I used to have. And as those habits are, are there, and, and, and 
And I have to do self-talk. And my wife can attest to this. Pretty much in the morning, I wake up and go, Marcus, I love you. Marcus, I love you. I'd look at myself dead in the mirror and go, Marcus, I love you. I followed up with the following statements. Marcus, you're loved by God. You're loved by your wife. You're loved by your family. You're loved by your church. You're loved by your roommates. You're loved by the coaches um, you coach with. And you're loved by the athletes you coach. And I will say this over and over again until I just start to feel good about myself. Because sometimes you got to talk to yourself until you just until you feel good. Because sometimes, like the gospel song says, sometimes you just need to encourage yourself. And so that's just what I do. But sometimes I have to have a real talk with myself. And I look at myself in the mirror and I go, Marcus, what are you going to do when you get to your goal weight? Marcus, are you going to sustain this? Marcus, are you about that life? Are you about that fitness life? You see, in the past, what would happen is, is that I'd lose like 50 pounds or something due to wrestling or, or I'd lose a certain amount of weight. And I'd lose a large amount of weight and I'd feel great, but I would celebrate by eating. And it could, because what happened is I would rob myself of, of, of whatever it was and, and we'd maybe go on vacation and we'd go to some place in the south that every other stop you get off of they have and it's not clean and it's absolutely wonderful when you get there and the person cooking the food looks like they 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 done did a couple bids like they done did time or something like that and and the forks are not clean and you just have to eat it when you eat it and you get there and it's open 24 hours if you've been to the south you know what restaurant i'm talking about and that stuff is good and nowhere near healthy and when you go on vacation, that's what I would do. You know, I'd eat and everything. And so now I had to, about 80 pounds ago, I had to go, oh, what do you do when you get there? So I wrote down my weight, wrote down my goal, and said, all right, when I get there, what's going to happen? And we're going to get to the Bible. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, and so, like, now that I'm zeroing in on that goal, I'm still asking myself, Marcus, are you about that life? What are you going to do when you get there? Because I have friends and I've always been involved in the weight management sport. I've always trained my mind to look at a number on the scale and reward myself. You see, when you're an, uh, a wrestler or something in a weight management sport, what you do is you make weight and you, you drink something or you eat something real quick so you get that boost of energy and you go out there and compete. And today I have friends who are... Um, you know, we, we, we're ex-wrestlers or ex-weight management sport guys, and they've all got these goals. This weight or bust. But I have to ask them, well, what happens when you get that weight? What are you going to do when you get there? What are you going to do when you get there? And I believe that the early church got to a point when they had to ask, well, what do we do now? Because we're here. Or what do we do when we're going to get there? And are we really going to live out Jesus? Are we really about that life? Acts 15 finds us in a very, very unique place. So the text goes in Acts 15, 1 through 6. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought sharp and uh, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. See, what was a predominantly a Jewish congregation was, going, uh, was, was experiencing Gentiles coming in. 
And I could imagine when those who were in Judea or in Jerusalem first heard about it, they were like, wait, wait, what? Like, you know, it's kind of cool, all of us hanging out together, but now Gentiles are here. And Gentiles are a little bit different. And so I I guarantee you some well-intentioned people said, we're going to go to Antioch and we're going to go set them straight. And I think that they went with very well intentions to Antioch and said, here's what you need to do. But you could tell their humanity kicked in because I think what they did was they said, hey, we want you to be like us so that as you come in, we feel more comfortable and everyone else feels more comfortable. But did that make those who were coming in feel more comfortable? And it was probably new as the gospel was spreading. And these people who were in Jerusalem were hanging out there. And and you have to imagine, you know, the Samaritans were coming in, and and that was a stretch for them. But I can imagine they were kind of getting used to it because the Samaritans had some cultural things kind of like them. Like they kind of celebrated the way they did. They kind of worshiped the way they did. They were like, okay, we can deal with you. You know, y'all like our cousins and whatnot. We can deal with you. But Gentiles? You see, it's different for when a Gentile comes in because a Gentile, if they were a Roman citizen, you have different rights than I have. means that you, you step out and you're perceived differently than I'm perceived. You mean that, that if I step out as a Jewish person, non-Roman citizen, and a soldier says, hey, carry my stuff, I have no other choice but to do it and to do it. But you, you, you don't have that. See, if I get in trouble as a Jewish person uh, underneath Roman authority, my criminality is assumed. And as a result of my criminality being assumed, like, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm comfortable with the fact that you are coming into my safe space. You're coming into the place where I can decompress. You're coming into the place where when, when oppression hits or whatever, you're coming into my space? Come on, dude, miss me with that. I could imagine that those first set of people was like, Samaritans, we was just now getting used to them. Gentiles? Miss me with that. Gentiles. And someone was like, no, no, it's cool, it's cool. We're going to go up there to Antioch, and we're going to set them straight. And they did. But Paul and Barnabas were already there. And they was like, oh, hey, wait, 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 well, excuse me, what? And I love Paul and Barnabas' reaction. Because they didn't overreact. They kind of thought about it for a second and disagreed. And then they went. They went back to Jerusalem and they got counsel. And you could see, see that there was a lot. Of, it said it, it took some time. The text will say that it took some time. It says after much long debate and, and discussion, you could tell Peter's response. Because you, you got to like Cephas. Cephas, you know, he was, he's OG. You know, well, I'm going to say OG. He's, he'd been there in the beginning. And I could imagine he... Him and the other apostles were like, well, this, you know, y'all you know this ain't nothing new. Like, this ain't, like, you know, we're following Jesus. And think about it, this really isn't anything new. See, for those who walked with Jesus, they saw Jesus interact with people all the time. See, they saw Jesus interact with Samaritans. They saw Jesus interact with uh, Gentiles frequently. You see, the apostles were there when one day they're going uh, on the way to Jerusalem. They're walking on the road, and they see Jesus at a well talking to a Samaritan woman. Not only did they see him talking to the Samaritan woman, she say, they say go, she goes and gets her friends. They all come. They say, stay with this. And, you know, it wasn't custom at that time for Jews and Gen- I mean, Samaritans to kind of hang with each other. 
And yet they went out there and hung out, and it was like, hey, Jesus, he kind of did that. See, they saw Jesus with Samaritans because they saw him heal 10 lepers. And they saw him heal those 10 lepers. One came back. This one person came back giving. He was just so happy that he didn't have leprosy. And Jesus acknowledges it and says, wait, weren't there 10 healed? But this Samaritan is the one who comes back and gives glory to God. And he says, go in peace. See, Jesus interacting with, with Gentiles wasn't nothing new. They was like, hold up for a second. Why, why are we all tripping right now? See, they knew, they saw Jesus in the Syrophoenician woman. See, they saw the woman who, who constantly kept begging Jesus over and over again to heal her daughter. They were there for that. They were there when the Roman centurion, who was probably part of the power structure, who, who, had, who, just by, who believed Jesus' word, had his, had his servant healed. This wasn't new. Well, it wasn't new to the, the apostles. It wasn't new to Cephas, but it was new to some. And because it was new to some other people, it's caused a conflict. This caused a struggle. Because what do you do when someone you don't like, when someone you strongly disagree with, when someone you strongly have philosophical, and, and we, it just is not going to happen. You, you see them and just make, yeah comes along and they enter into your fellowship what happens and then we see the response the whole assembly became silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders among the Gentiles through them when they finished James the brother of Jesus, uh, James uh, Jesus brother spoke up and he said listen to me Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name and for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, and the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. Then James says, all right. I'm going to use some wisdom. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled by animals, and from blood. Now, they probably kept it real simple. And the first question I had when, like, looking at this text was, well, why these particular commandments? Like, why these? And thanks to our brilliant pastors, uh, Kevin and Danielle, they pointed me these, to these things called the Noah laws or Noahide laws. And these were like, these prohibitions, these particular things were probably in place to really just keep the peace. You see, it was probably understood that, uh, it was probably understood within that cultural context that, that okay, Here's where the Noahide laws, these seven laws. And it was, the sons of Noah were given seven commandments, practicing justice, abstaining from blasphemy, idolatry, adultery, bloodshed, robbery, eating flesh, torn from a live animal. Uh, live animal. And these were like really secondary com- um, things. These were like, at least the ones picked for the Gentiles were secondary things because these particular actions were so offensive that they figured that when Gentiles would start coming in, that those who practiced these things would, would be so offensive that, like, the, uh, the, those who didn't practice these things, would, it, would, it would cause such attention. 
So they really did it to kind of keep the community. And I'm pretty sure for those Gentiles who heard it, who loved it, I mean, it was great. Like, you mean I don't have to go under a knife and, and get, like, parts of my body cut off? Oh, this is great. And there are some practical things, too, because now you're turning to the one and true living God and, you know, adultery. I mean, you know, fornication, all that other good stuff, maybe not necessarily the best idea. I can attest, like, when I first came to Jesus, that was a little difficult for me. Look, I ain't going to front. I'm going to put mine out there. Came in, I was out the world. And when you come in out the world, I had a relationship, and I was doing what relationships do. And I was like, wait, you want me to stop what? Wait, does God know how good sex feels? I mean, like, I'm, I'm, what? Oh, God is tripping. He going to have to work on me. Like, I was, I was a 100% full go. I was, like, praying in the morning and whatnot, hanging out with my girlfriend and everything. And then one day just got convicted, and, and it just stopped. I was just like, oh, man, like, hey, all right, well, I guess I don't do that no more. Look at Jesus. Look at God. Ain't God good? Mm, 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 mm. Thank God I am married. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get back to the message. <laughs> okay. So Paul and Barnabas get the letter. They go back and they, they read it to the people. It says that the people were glad and they encouraged themselves. And after spending some time there, they were sent off with the believers, blessing in return. And I could imagine, like, this was cool. Like, Gentiles coming in, and they're like, okay, we don't have to do too much. And, and Jews kind of getting together, like, okay, cool. And this thing called Jesus is just moving, and it's changing the world, and it still changes the world today. And we kind of live in an extension of that. But it made me think about, like, oh, well, what if different people came in? See, one of the things I love about Spark is that it's meaty church. Meaning that you, when you come to Spark, you're going to get fed. Like, and, and if you're spiritually mature or you're kind of wondering, you're going to get like some, some spiritual heavyweight. These, our pastors are not like spiritual lightweights. These, these cats come in and they just like, you know, you be, I'm telling you right now, there are sermons that have been preached here that I'm still tripping off of. A couple years ago, I mean, they talked about this sermon This still rocks me to this day. They talked about the basic tenets. You know how Jesus, the two most important commands, love God and love people? That I was like, okay, cool. I had heard that before. But they said, you know, it's love God and love people. It's both at the same time. And that causes me to have to love people that I don't necessarily like. And if you're married, you know what that is. If you got kids, you know what that is. If you got coworkers, you know what that is. If you've been in school, you know that there are people you don't like, but you love them. Because you know, because you done, you done hold your tongue and be like, if I didn't love you, mm. How many of us have written that email and right before you sent send? Because if I can't believe this, you know what? I, I love this person. Hold on. Let me go have an interpersonal conversation before I you know, start some mess. I mean, you know, text messaging. You know what? Wait, what, what does this mean? And, you know, I mean, you know, uh, no, I'm not the person that texts like that. But some of us in this room have got that text message and be like, what? Oh, no. They did not. And just was like going off. And it just and then. Your wisdom hitting was like, you know, I probably should call the person. Young people, you do know you could talk on your phone. I mean, <laughs> you, it's an audible voice. You can just, you know, you dial the person and then they pick up and they talk to you on it. You, heck, you got FaceTime. Just FaceTime them about it. And you ain't got to, like, just text, you know. Like, don't, don't, don't hit send. Like, just give yourself time to breathe. The apostles did that. We all here today. <laughs> and so as a result, as a result, these things occurred. 
And I started thinking about Spark, because Spark is real unique. I think because we're meaty and we're a very loving and embracing community, I, I honestly think that Spark could handle people like this. Now, these are some gang members. And I'm, I'm, I'm Spark, we, we're a cool church. I mean, Spark is cool. I mean, if, if Cass walked in straight up to jail, throwing up signs and whatnot, you, you know, we'd be a little, I mean, some of y'all be a little alarmed. I'd be fine with it, you know, I mean. My family originally from Compton. I mean, sets were not, you know, I was like, hey, we'd be cool with it. I'm pretty sure that if, if somebody came in all inked up, was like, I need Jesus, I'm more than five, six, seven of y'all to get up, go start praying with them, feed them and whatnot, introduce them to the cute little babies and everything like that, invite them to the race discussion on Tuesday and everything like that. I mean, we, that that's be Spark. That, that, Spark would do that. I'm, I'm more than sure of that. Because Spark's mature like that. Y'all, y'all get it. I mean, Spark could do it. Because you, you can. We're that type of community. It, it mirrors the, the, the first church. I'm more than sure of that. If, if some woman came in off the street or some child who came in and they were a, a, a victim of sex trafficking, I'm, I'm more than sure that Sparkers would stand up and be like, no, you've come to a safe place and we, we, we kick it. I'm, I'm more than sure that Sparker would respond and be like, come on in here. You could do it. You could, hey, hang out with us. You don't, have to, you don't have to run anymore. We would restore them. And we're going to talk about our, our core tenants later. That would be a very spark thing. But love our church, but we, we kind of lean moderate to the left. And it could feel a certain way. So some of us in this church, don't, don't we? We may not feel that way. So what if these people walked in? And, you know, this is Hillary Clinton, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Rachel Maddow, and Kamala Harris. And for some of y'all, y'all be like, oh, Kamala, that's my girl right there. Some of y'all be like, Nancy, Nancy, I see you. Hillary, I know it didn't work out, but you know, you still my girl. Some of us will be like, Rachel, you need to tell him, like, you go ahead, thunder him on me, drop them bombs on DT. You know, I don't like him anyway. You know, he my president and all, I love him. But you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I pray for him reluctantly. I'm still trying to find that loophole, but I'm still praying for that, brother. I'm still praying for him. And some of us, well, I mean, and we'd walk in, y'all and embrace them and everything. But others of us, if these folk walked in, see, why y'all sighing? Like, like <laughs> y'all did not groan. <laughs> Are you serious? So then if, if, if this podcast and somebody's listening to somewhere, I got a picture of Russ Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Coulter and Ben Carson. They're a little bit more on the, the right side, the conservative side, you know. And so they, they kind of see things differently than some of the people here at Spark do. But there are people in the community who's like, yeah, I mean, they, they, they love them some, some Rush. I mean, Dr. Ben Carson, that, I mean, that's, that, that's they dude. I mean, Sean Hannity will walk in here right now and they'd be like, yeah, that's right. That's my man's right there. They got, they got them. I mean, hey, I mean, tuned in to Fox, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Some, there are people among that in our community. Don't make them scared. Don't make them scared. They, they, they here. They here. And as a result, you know, we, would you struggle with that? Because I guarantee you, if they came in, you'd be like, mm. would you be like, hey, here's Tony, our barista? Or would you be like, coffee's over there. <laughs> got some food. Would you have an attitude the whole time? Would you be like, mm, 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 mm? I mean, let's be honest, you know, because they say some things that get you going. But the reality is, is these people may say some things that get you going as well, too, if you don't feel the other way. And if those folk were to come into our community, what would happen? And I honestly believe that, well, 
our church is mature and could handle it. See, the politics wouldn't necessarily bother me. I can tell you these people would bother me. And if you're listening to this right now, I have a picture up of uh, uh, Yanez, George Zimmerman, Officer uh, Darren Wilson, and Oscar Johannes Mesler. And each of them are associated with people who I can closely identify with. See, one of the things about the gospel is, is it causes me to think the other way. See, I tried as hard as I could to find pictures of these men smiling. Um, Kevin pointed out something to me the other day that, that started helping me think. I'm more than sure that each of these men who got up that morning and as their lives uh, changed because they had killed an unarmed black person, that that was not their intention. In fact, you could look at um, Officer Yanez, and he's really distraught over the fact that he had killed Philando Castillo. He's, like, really distraught, and I, you can understand it and, 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 and sense that pain. And, and I, I totally understand that, that like, what law, officer, law enforcement officers kind of go through because they're, they're That's who they are. They're law enforcement officers. They see things differently. And I'm going to be very honest with you. If one of these men walked in right now, I would still have a hard time, although a long, long time ago I came to the conclusion that I needed to pray for these men. And that I pray for for them and and victims and and go on to the, the side. And it's easy because I'm here in California. These men are across the country. But I still have to be very honest that if one of those men walked in right now, I know that my obligation is to say hello. I know that my obligation is is to greet you and and come into the community. But I've got to be honest. I, I would struggle a little bit. I'd struggle with it deeply because I would look at their actions because what you've done has so offended me, has so turned me, got me feeling a certain type of way that, that I don't know. I just don't know. And maybe one day some people will come in because this at first offended me, but, but for some people this is really offended, but I, I get it. Blue lives matter and, 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 and black lives matter. That there are police officers out there who, who really don't want to get killed on their job. But in the same sense, there is a, a record in this country of people who look like myself unarmed people who just want interactions with law enforcement and know that that's not going to be a death sentence. Just want to get pulled over and get my ticket if my ticket's deserved. I don't want to be, have assumed criminality. And if someone came into our church and they were strong supporters of Blue Lives Matter, I would struggle with it for a little bit, but I would understand because we all probably know police officers and things like that. But maybe it doesn't fall along politics. See, I believe that Spark is a unique community, and it's so unique that we could have any speaker up here and get multiple sides of, of, of the same text. I believe that if, if John MacArthur or, or, uh, or John Piper or Mark Driscoll and, and these extremely fundamentalist people walked in here, that our church would embrace them. We'd have our, our, our to say, but I believe that Spark is a mature enough community to handle it. I believe that if someone came in and had a different view of same-sex marriage than we had, and they came up here, and then in the same sense, someone with our point of view came up here and preached, that we could actually hear both messages 
And that this church is actually mature enough not to say believe one thing or another, but to say here, here's reality and sit with it and allow us to wrestle with it. See, I believe that what we have to do to grow and mature is be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I say this because I'm a wrestling coach. And what happens is, is that I've coached students, in, um, and we'll talk about one a little bit later, but you've, you've got to be there. You've got to get uncomfortable being, I mean, get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where you grow. See, we don't grow kind of being in these spaces where everyone is like us. I, I get it. But, and it's hard because there's people who just, they say those things that work your nerves. And, and, and it's, it's, I don't know about you. Well, not my family. I think my family's actually all right. But I've heard of people who, right before Thanksgiving, right before the family reunion, they kind of go to the liquor store. They get a little small something to take the edge off, you know, because they know they're going to have some interactions with somebody. They may smoke a substance that just became legal in California that we're not advocating for and just be like, who these people. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's some people who are like that, you know, that kind of do that for you. And so there's always going to be this tension, especially with a community as diverse as ours, that there are going to be people who are going to come in here. And, and we explore issues and we explore topics that I genuinely love, but there is another side. And what happens if there becomes a vocal element of that other side? Can we embrace them? See, I believe that Spark is mature enough to do that. Um, what you can see is, is that, like, lessons I've learned from, from Acts 15 is, what I loved is the disciples in Jerusalem, they didn't, they didn't react. Now, there were some people who went from them and reacted, but you see that the text goes, they didn't react. And when Paul and Bartimaeus got there, they all kind of came together, wrestled it out, and came with some common sense things. Then, I love the fact that the four uh, the, the three commands that they gave, or, or slash four, they kept strong to their values. They went, well, let's just go with the, 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 Noah, uh, the Noah Hyde seven. Let's just go with these things, and, and let's just go with, with some values that won't upset so many people, because these behaviors, yeah, they, they, they're really offensive to some people, and then for others, it's not. So they said, Let, let's keep with our values. And I believe that Spark, we can stick with our values. And then I love the fact that Paul and Barnabas went back and they checked up. And as they went back and checked up, they, uh, I mean, and everything was all good. And then the other thing that occurred was, well, they didn't let the comment section dictate their faith. I, can I admit something for a second? How many people in here, I'm gonna get, who's going to get the Keep It Real Award today, has ever read an article and you didn't even read the full article? You got the gist of the article? Straight to the comment section. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All y'all get the Keep It Real Award today. You went straight to the comment section. You went straight because you was like, oh, this is a good article. And you walked away thinking, oh, this is balanced. This is, mm -mm, I know people. And you went straight there and you was, I can't believe people think like this. This is madness. And I could imagine what would happen is, is that our church being as unique as it was and embracing a lot of different people and saying, hey, we're going to go conservative and we're going to go liberal. I could imagine people saying that's unbiblical. I can imagine people saying, you don't want to go to that church. Well, they're probably saying that now. <laughs> I mean, I can see that happening. And I think that as our community grows, I believe that Spark is in that place where we, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta do the Big Sean ministry and not fool with the comment section. Because <laughs> we just don't care. 
And if you know what song I'm talking about, you know what song I'm talking about. All right. But you don't let, I mean, you just, you, you got to let it prevent you because as you grow spiritually, as you, as you grow, like, you're going to get to these points. You're going to wrestle with it. There is another side of things. And what's going to happen when uh, people who see things differently than us and who can lovingly or they, I mean, who can lovingly filter things through our values as spark? What happens when they can lovingly filter things through love God and love people, but they're so pro-life? What happens if they think that offering the truth by a literal, interpre- uh, ter- uh, literal interpretation of the text is defending the reputation of God? What happens when, like, they, they truly believe that reconciliation to all means embracing someone like a Richard Spencer? And if you don't know who he is, he's the leader of, like, the alt-right. Maybe one day he'll come to Jesus and that person wants to come in. What if they believe that the rescue of the world is, sorry, it's hard for me to say it, peppered in some type of nationalism? What if they believe that a fundamental view of the text is resurrection and that it brings some type of life? Can we embrace that? Is there another side? I can tell you this as a coach, that there is growth in it. I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Marilyn. My friend, Marilyn, is is an athlete of mine, and uh, she's from Southern California, and it's going to be an athletic, uh, an athletic uh, analogy. But what happened is, is that she's a good wrestler, got second in the state. I knew her high school coach. We recruited her to Menlo College, and she was, she was pretty cool. But I saw some holes in her game, and she's actually a really good athlete, and she just didn't use it. And I was like, hmm, I'm going to make you do a move that you're not comfortable with all week in practice. In fact, all day, you're just going to do it. And I said, when we go live, you're going to do that. And I watched her get beat. I mean, cry. And the next day, we did it again. And the next day, we did it again, over and over again. She cried. She'd go home. She'd have these, she'd have these and I was, I was hurting because I, I view all the, my athletes as, as like my daughters and stuff like that. So it was hurting me, but I'm watching her. And she looked at me. She looked at me like, I hate you. And I'm like, I know you do. You know, like I just, but it's for your good. And she eventually got this thing called a leg attack. And she kept doing it over and over and over again. And, and at times, it looked like she just didn't hit it until... We were at nationals, and we're in a national tournament, and she didn't have a great first match, and then her next match is against a returning All-American who's just, oh, my gosh. I'm like, the girl was killing people, and what I love about Marilyn is she, she hood. I mean, like, she's, I mean, no, her nickname is Chola. I mean, like, this, I'm, I got to bring her to church one day. She's great. I mean, she's awesome. She talked about, like, she was, she was fooling with gangs before she started wrestling. It was great. I mean, well, that's not great to fool with gangs. But <laughs> it was great that, you know, she, she started wrestling. And we're in there, and I'm like, oh, she's got this, this girl, and this girl's got all sorts of accolades. And then, well, then uh, if you can show me, uh, can you help me with this? this she, she does this amazing thing to this girl who's like, on the all-university team, and it's just like this great moment that I got really excited about. But essentially, it's called a leg attack. She puts the leg up in the air and drops the girl on her head. We go, go! That moment doesn't happen if she doesn't cry. That moment doesn't happen if she doesn't struggle. She goes on and wins that match. That moment doesn't happen 
is she didn't wrestle and, and internally struggle with why is my coach making me do this? I believe that Spark is a community that people can come into that see totally opposite. And, and it's been proven because, you know, some people do have their lines. I'm not telling you not to have your lines, but I think some people do have their lines. But I believe that, like, what other church will allow you to argue with your pastors? Like, I mean, really, think about that. You could send an email to them and say, let's have lunch, and you could talk to Kevin and Danielle or Mark, and you could be totally on the opposite of what they feel, and they allow you to wrestle it out. Our church is a unique community, and I believe that when different people come in with different points of views, we have to ask ourselves, can we be like Acts 15? And what are we going to do when they get here? Are we really going to be like Jesus? Are we really going to demonstrate what Jesus said, that they'll know that you're of us by the way you love each other? I mean, can I really, really love somebody who's really, really on the other end, who, who, who for whatever reason or another, like genuinely deep down believes in their whole heart that God placed the current administration in its place? Could, could, could we really love somebody who, who really deep down is really, really fundamental when it comes to the text? Could it, could it really, really happen? And, and I believe it, it, it's happening in certain ways, but I mean, could it really happen? And I believe that Spark is, is a dynamic community and can get it done. And I believe that we're going to be there. So going back to that question is, what are you going to do when a bunch of people from the outside show up? What are we going to do when we get there? And are we going to be about Jesus? Are we going to be about that life? So I leave you with these two questions. What are you going to do when you get there? Whatever God's doing in your life, whatever the goal is, what are you going to do when you get there? And when you get there, are you going to be about Jesus? Are you going to be about that life? I can honestly say I don't know. But I know that when it gets there, hopefully we've gone through the wrestling, the struggling, and all of those things that it takes for us to grow to be there. Thank you, Spark. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this unique community. I thank you for Kevin and Danielle's leadership, um, the fact that they allow us to, to grow, wrestle, go through the backs, go through the fronts, go through the forth, and just look at everything from multiple different points of view. I pray for those in the community that may feel alienated by uh, what they may feel is a bend, and then for those who may feel that there's another bend. I pray, Heavenly Father, as more people become open and comfortable with experiencing this community, Lord, that you would just show up and that we could demonstrate that all can be loved here, all can str struggle and wrestle in this community, and all can grow at your feet, and that we can all filter through things through our, our core values. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.